If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. So now for Code Mobile, we get, we get some folks traveling in from different places, but you've been traveling quite a bit. Where, where did you just come in from?、Uh, I've been in Sao Paulo, Rio, and I just came from Chile, Santiago de Chile. Arrived this morning, six o'clock. Excellent. Well, thanks for、uh, working Half Moon Bay into your schedule. Absolutely. I worked it in.、Um, You know, a lot of the companies、uh, that are here you know, are really US companies with a US focus. And I think you know, we wanted you guys for a bunch of reasons. One is you, know, you guys touch most of these areas that we're talking about、yep. and globally. And I'm curious,、um, we're going to talk a lot about what it means for us here, but I think it's also important to understand what does this mobile revolution, what is it doing globally? What are some of the most interesting things? That you're seeing that folks here probably aren't aware of? Now, it's of course,、uh, the, this revolution that we're into, this technology revolution, is just about to start. I mean, just a couple of figures so we get it right. I mean, it's 7 billion mobile subscriptions in the world, roughly 3 billion mobile broadband subscriptions in the world, enormous growth of people getting smartphones, but it's just a start. By 2020, 90% of the Earth's population will have 3G, 4G. Uh, we're going to almost have three times as many people on this earth having access to internet. And of course, if you get that for the first time, you don't have a fixed broadband and black and white TV. Your innovation is so different. I mean, it's your,、uh, it's your inclusion to the society. You can get education, you can get healthcare, you can start making mobile payments. So you see totally different patterns and in innovation. I mean, Just in Africa, for example, right now it's 70 million people having mobile broadband. They're going to be 700 million by end of 2020. They're going to innovate. And the border between countries just goes down. So, of course, we see innovation totally different. And we need to be in this market because we build networks and work with services in all these markets. And it's very different how they see this revolution. I mean, they come up with applications that is very, very important for their life and for their society. And in some of these areas,、um, they're actually ahead. I mean, banking, for example, you know, we're, we're doing some things. We'll hear from Chase later. Payments, you know, Apple Pay, and you o k n we're w doing some things. But for countries that don't have banking systems, and PESA and Kenya, they've been doing mobile banking for years. Yeah, no, the latest、uh, sort of report from the World Bank is 700 million people now have mobile payments. They didn't have a bank account five years ago. 
and of course for them to transfer money and take out middlemen, thinking about how much corruptions and intransparency in when you use cash. Here you can send the money straight to the people. It, it creates a much better society in many countries which don't have the sort of great ways of working, etc. And uh, I just met uh, an operator from Afghanistan, you know, and uh, he started with uh, doing mobile payments to some public servants, you know, and he, he was almost killed by the middlemen because suddenly they couldn't take all the money from the people that actually should have it. That type of things are happening in the world when you get connected, which uh, I think that we coming from Sweden, you in the U.S., you don't think how big impact this is for people. So it's, it's almost dangerous innovation. In yeah, some yeah, in some cases, of course, you change. You can disrupt any type of service or product can actually be transformed. It can be transformed to a service based on the mobility broadband and cloud. And almost all, all people on Earth will actually have it 2020. So, of course, we will see an exponential revolution of people being part of this transformation. And we underestimate what we're going to do with it. Even I, working in 180 countries, have a hard time sometimes to imagine how they will use this technology. And there's a couple different trends that I want to dive into. We'll, we'll get to 5G in a second, what's next. But already, even with today's technology, we're seeing a lot of... Internet of Things, not so much yet in the connected home, that's kind of futury, but a lot in businesses hooking up their processes to the internet. What are some of the interesting examples you guys are seeing of that? You're absolutely right. We see three patterns. One is, of course, that people get connected. That's what we talked about. The other is that the industry is connected. And the last one is society. We can talk about all of them. But industries, of course, here we see any industry are looking into what can I do with mobility broadband and cloud to transform it. I mean, we are working with many different industries for connecting ships. We are, we are connecting, for example, masks, all ships, the biggest shipping company in the world, they're connecting the ships in order to reduce the CO2 emission, uh, the fuel consumption, etc. We, we, we just are working with, uh, that comes to my mind here, we're working with Intel, uh, My Omega, which is a startup from here, at, and Telenor, uh, to actually uh, connect the vineyards in, in Germany in order to bring in uh, information when you're going to put water, uh, where you're going to put fertilizer to get better crop, when you're going to do wine. That type of things we would never imagine. But when you have the fantastic uh, sort of coverage, you can do these type of things. And that's just one example. There are hundreds of ex examples of sensors right now actually transforming industries and making it much more efficient. And some of that, as we talked about, is happening today. And sort of the next generation of networks, what you guys are looking to build next, is the idea is it needs to support exponentially yeah. more of that. Yeah. What does that next generation? I mean, we're starting to just hear the first. I, how many people have even heard of 5G beyond maybe the word? Oh, okay. that's very So many. this is a good crowd. It's a good crowd. Um, a great crowd. What, what, what does it mean to you guys, um, you know, and what are the requirements? Are they set yet? The requirements, so <clears throat> it's a big difference with 5G compared to 2G, 3G, and 4G. 2G, 3G, and 4G was designed for consumers. It's better throughput uh, and uh, higher speeds. That was sort of all the time where 4G is 10 times better than 3G, 3G was two, 10 times better than 2G. 5G is designed for the industrial internet. That means that we need to cater for different type of use cases in the network, which are so different. Uh, so the requirements are set. It's sort of 1,000 times faster speeds, hundreds times more devices being connected. The latency has to go down 10 times. All that is sort of set and discussed. 
But this type of different use cases, think about the networks as a slices in the network. And you can have one core, I mean, I guess you discussed a lot about cores yesterday. One solution for cores, of course, to be connected is, of course, that latency is so low so you can have an autonomous steering. So, of course, one slice in network will recognize its core, and then it gives, a, gives the core the latency that is required in order to be autonomous. And so a car needs to be able to tell another car in milliseconds. Absolutely. So the latency is the most important. Speed, throughput, not that important. Latency is the most important. Um, if you have a sensor, for example, out in, the, in Amazonas, you just came from Brazil, so it's in my head there. So you have a sensor in, 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 the, in Amazonas, which is uh, just checking if, you, if they're logging, people cutting down forests, which they're not allowed to do. Uh, you can have a, a sensor outside the power grid, and you send a very light radio signal and wake it up as soon as something happens. And then you don't need to change the battery more than every 10 years. That's another use case. A third use case you probably discussed yesterday as well, healthcare. I mean, if you're going to have a sensor in, in, inside your body one day that feels that something bad is happening, if you're going to have a heart attack or something, uh, the system might feel that a couple of minutes before. And then, of course, you need to send a signal, and that has to be prioritized to the network. That's just some of the use cases. So when we now design 5G, we talk to industries, all industries of the world, healthcare, transport, uh, education, all of them. What type of sort of characteristics do you need from the network? And that's how we're going to build 5G. So one of the challenges for any incumbent is if you're in a good spot where you are, how do you lead in the next generation? The first I'm going to ask it about you guys, and then I want to talk about the U.S., because both Ericsson's in the lead in network equipment, and the U.S. has been the leader in 4G, and I'm yeah. curious. So first, because I know it's the most passionate for you, how, how do you guys make sure you don't get leapfrogged? Uh, we, have done, uh, we are doing a dramatic transformation. I mean, today we're in networks. We're in media. We are running TV station broadcasters. We, de we do broadcast sort of, we do everything from compression, so we're big in media and TV, we're big in IT, we're number one in the world in building systems and operating systems, and we're also going into these industries I'm talking about, transport, utilities. So we decided 2010, we need to transform to be relevant sort of in this fifth technology revolution, and just to give you a figure, I mean, last year we employed 19,000 people, and 15,000 people were let go. That's the level of transformation we have in order to be relevant because we are the incumbent. We, we sold the networks. We, we, we sold them because there was voice calls. And that's, of course, that's very old. Today, voice is noisy in the network. It's the smallest thing you have in the network. Right now, we're working with data. And the biggest thing is video in the network. By 2020, 90% of everything in the networks in the world is going to be video or some media, and we need to do best at that as well. So our transformation is brutal in order to move. When new competitors, we, 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 we change how we're working. Today, two-thirds of our business is software and services. Ten years ago, it was 75% hardware. So yes, a dramatic movement to be relevant in this technology sort of revolution we see in front of us. So taking the same question from a geographical perspective, historically, whatever region was ahead in 2G yeah. wasn't in 3G. Whichever. Correct. So the US is ahead in 4G. Yes. There's a lot of places that want to be first with 5G. I yes. know Korea with the Olympics. Yeah. And um, how's the US doing? What, 
I think US, US is doing well. I mean, 4G, you are, of course, uh, the world leader on 4G, uh, together, of course, with a, the great uh, sort of innovation we have in Silicon Valley. That, that really creates the environment for 4G and high-speed broadband. Uh, 5G, yeah, you're right. There are many that want to claim that it's going to be sort of first in the world. Uh, the only thing I'm sure about Ericsson will be first. Uh, <laughs> that we will be first with 5G. We're number one on 4G, 3G, and 2G. We're going to be first on 5G as well. Right now, it looks like Korea wants to be ahead here, but they will have pre-commercial technology. In our industry, we standardize everything in order to bring down the cost, and everybody uses the same. So the calendar for it is that the approval of the standard is 2020. So given that... Yeah. What did you guys in Verizon mean when they say they're going to be testing 5G next year? They talk exactly about these slices of the network, use cases that they're going to use, and part of that you can already do. Of course, we see uh, basically software evolution to 5G from 4G, so of course it's going to be something in between. They're going to find new solutions from the networks for different industries. But from a standardization, one of the most important things is to decide which type of frequencies you're going to run the 5G on, and that's why we're going to see... This time, for the first time ever, you're going to have pre-commercials of the, of the technology. Usually, when we came out with 3G, it took two, three years, and then somebody bought it. We came with 4G, and then it was one year after. This time, we're going to be ahead of the standardization, which puts some requirement on it. But on the other hand, we started the work with 5G for a couple of years ago. So, so it basically helps you guys pay absolutely. off your R&D sooner. So absolutely. No, for us, it's good. And we need to handle all. You need to think about that. It's 600 million people on Earth that had 4G today. Only, think about 600 million out of 7.2 billion subscriptions. The majority of the people on Earth, they are walking around with the feature phones. I understand that's hard to, to understand when you're in this type of environment. But the majority of all, all people in India, Indonesia, China, they're on 2G phones still. And they are now moving in. So of course, 3G and 4G will still be very important by 2020. Speaking of those handsets, um, you know, at one time, you guys had a joint venture with Sony and made handsets. At once, we were number one, one in the world. Uh, Ericsson phones, fantastic. So I assume you, you feel really bad that you're not in handsets. You see no. how much fun they're having, how many companies are making profits. Yeah. That was a decision we I took in 2011 that we felt that the whole industry has changed to a device that is much more design and much more inclusion. I mean... We did an extension of the network, a voice sort of mobile, mobile. so we felt it was not our core competence, so we, we sold it. We work with all handset manufacturers today, because if you launch a new service in the network, if it's 4G or voice over Wi-Fi or voice over LTE or something, we need to work with all handset manufacturers to see that it works as well. So we would work with any of the handset manufacturers you can ever imagine today. So not sad you're not in the handset business? No, I'm not sad. I'm sad for the company. It's a 140-year-old company, and this is the first time in 140 years we don't have a consumer product. And I just think about Lars Magnus, founder of the company, if he could look down and say, shit, Hans, did you sell off the last consumer product you had? <laughs> that, that, that I feel bad about. And looking up and saying, hey, we're, you're doing everything you want. Everybody's getting connected. Because he had his vision, listen to this, 1876, was that communication is a basic human need. That's what he said. And I usually say, well, I was speaking at the UN for two weeks ago, and I said that I wish you would hear, be here and listening to all the heads of states and everyone talking about communication is the most important and connectivity. But he wasn't there, but maybe he was up there listening. Um, in terms of um, you know, shifting gears a little, there's a lot of talk um, in Silicon Valley about you know, 
diversity and, and bringing more women in tech and yep. family. Um, but we were talking backstage, and I, I thought your perspective on family is, is really interesting. Um, and, you know, talk about kind of how you balance work and home, and, and you know, I think you guys do things a little differently in Sweden. I, I think yeah. it's something we might learn from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you just need first to put a little bit of context. I mean, Ericsson has business and employees in 180 countries, 150,000 employees. I have 16 people reporting to me. I mean, I think less than half of them are sitting in Sweden. They're basically all nationalities. And actually, we have changed dramatically the last five years, you know. Ericsson has been run in 133 years only with Swedish males of my age. Uh, that's not the case anymore. We are a super international company. I mean, so half of the people reporting to me are not even sitting in Sweden. They have internationalities from India to US to Cuba, uh, whatever. And uh, they are males and females. And five of the 16 reporting to them are females. So, of course, life has changed dramatically. At the same time, you know, uh, we all have families. And, and I have some certain rules. When I, I always negotiate with anyone. So I negotiate with my family when I got the job. So we had a sort of a contract. And my, and my contract with my family is that I'm home every Friday, 5 o'clock, and I leave 8 o'clock on Sunday evenings. I basically travel. I'm home five days a month, but always home on the weekends. So that's my rule, and that's how we sort of dealing both with the family and then working like crazy five days a week, traveling all around the world, usually doing four or five countries in a week. Uh, that, that's my way of doing it, my family. It's not here, but I hope they are agreeing that it's okay with the model. I have children that are 13 and 15, and you know, you don't want to miss it. So I dedicate my two days, 48 hours, only to them. I don't do anything else than being with my family. No work email? You're not... No, no. I can do it if I'm in a car going somewhere and they are not in the car or something like that. But uh, I would never do it when they are there because they know the rules. So they would ask me. i say, hey, the, the agreement is that you shouldn't work during weekends. I don't do it. So I work during the weeks, and I work a lot. Day 24 by 7. That's how I do it. Cool. That's a model. Uh, well, I want to open it up for questions in a sec, but um, all this bright and positive, and there's a lot exciting. Every now and then, our industry gets slowed down by litigation. You guys aren't immune to that. Um, <laughs> We're not immune to that, no. <laughs> uh, in general, you guys haven't, you know, basically broadly licensed a lot of your technology, but uh, a couple, couple of the big names in tech, that hasn't been the case. Yeah. Uh, you guys and Apple had a contract. Now you're in litigation. Is there an end in sight? What's the deal? Uh, yeah, uh, first we need to put it in context. I mean, the great thing with our industry, which is very different from any other industry, is that we share the patents. We decide which patents are the best, and then we design a st standard together. That is together with all the competitors. And then we say that anyone that wants to use that, this te technology, please use it, and then we make a cross-license, because everyone has sort of contributed. So we would have more than 100 contracts with anyone you ever think about the cross-license, because everyone has some patents. Uh, unfortunately, at this moment, we don't have an agreement with Apple. We've had that for... Uh, several years uh, since the iPhone came. Then we couldn't agree right now, so we are in litigation. I don't like litigation because usually there's lawyers making money and win-win for them. Uh, hopefully we can sort it out outside court. We're doing everything we can to do that. Right now, we have not come to that conclusion. And is the main sticking point that they don't want to pay the royalty, or is it more that you want a license to their patents and their... No, they basically don't have any pat patents in 2G, 3G, and 4G, which are, they are using. I mean, we spend 5 billion US dollars a year in research and development. And we say that anyone that wants to use it, please welcome do it. So of course, we need some sort of a cross license with anyone. Uh, so no, it's more that uh, 
Oh, you probably should ask them, but I think it's more that they... So they, wait, Tim Cook is saying he doesn't have the money to pay you guys? Uh, I didn't hear that coming, actually, but uh, uh, I think that the discussion is, I don't think the discussion is if they're going to pay, it's more about uh, getting the right level of it. And of course, we have already more than 100 agreements, so we know what is a fair. We are working with FRAN, fair uh, and reasonable and non-discriminatory of all the uh, sort of cross-licensees. So we need to be fair to everyone. Everyone should be equal in this. So we don't and you guys have almost every handset maker yes. except Xiaomi and Apple, right? At the moment, yes. Yeah. Interesting. There might be some small ones that is coming up, so we let them start. But over time, we, we just need to see that the industry is aligned on this. Okay. Um, do folks have questions? I'll ask a couple more if folks don't, but I want to give you guys a chance. Excellent. Hi, uh, thanks for your talk this morning. I have a question about uh, what you said around consumer goods. I, I know you sell to businesses, but I was surprised to hear you say you're lamenting not having consumer goods, among others. Don't you ha have a big business going in your uh, video services, and how do you see that? Yeah. Absolutely, you're 100% you're right. It depends a little bit how you see it, but I don't have a real consumer product. However, we are into media, TV and, and media, and of course, we do today, we have all software from ingestion for content to the playout. We, for example, bought Media Room from Microsoft, which is, of course, a user interface and have most IPTV users in the world. So, of course, we are in consumer with interfaces, but a product, maybe we don't, so maybe it was a wrong statement. So maybe I can, can talk to the guy upstairs and tell him that we actually have some consumer products. So that we have been buying some 10, 15 companies. We would today basically handle uh, all type of companies, operators, cable operators. We're also doing broadcast services. So we're running TV channels. So we would run some 500 TV channels in Europe. I usually take the example of BBC. So we would have 1,400 people working for BBC 24 by 7, taking care of everything except the cameraman, the journalist, and some C-suite people that they need to have themselves. You know. There. So I guess my meta question, just a quick follow-up, is how do you see your ability to produce software and design software for consumers as important or not? For I, I see that we, we need to work in a different way. I mean, you spend $5 billion US dollar a year in search and development, the majority is software. It's absolutely majority. We have, of course, hardware in processor, etc. majority software. We are, have changed the whole ways of working. We have now basically all our 26,000 people in R&D are working lean and agile. Basically, over time, we should be able to drop software every 24 hours. As any sort of startup that are quick and, and sort of agile, we can do the same. Today, we are basically dropping in two, three times a year, but that's because our customers are doing it. Over time, we're going to be in DevOps models where you basically drop the software all the time. If that is for media, or if it's for IT, or if it's for networks, it doesn't really matter. So we are dramatically changing in order to be much more agile to what's happening in the, in the software. So yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, a lot of, I'm assuming most of the people here haven't been to Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Maybe, maybe some have. Ericsson always has, for a company that doesn't do anything with the consumer, Ericsson has a phenomenal booth always painting an incredible vision yeah. of where you guys see the future. It's always the most fun and good f Swedish food. Yeah. Um, what, what are some of the things? We're talking about cars. We're talking about wearables. What are some of the things you're convinced are on the horizon in that area. I know you're looking not only at connecting cars, but cities. I, I, we, I mean, we, 2009, we came out with a forecast that's going to be 50 billion connected devices, and everybody said, the Ericsson doesn't know everything, they're idiots. Of course, that was the first stage when we saw what can be connected to these networks. 
Nowadays, we think much more when you connect those devices, what can you do with them? What can you transform? Uh, everything from connected uh, car clouds where you can actually steer traffic or getting information, or if it's a connected maritime, maritime cloud, using all the connected devices, that's what we see in the next step coming maybe 2020, 2025, when we have so much connected devices. Then those devices will transform uh, habits, uh, businesses dramatically. And we are just about to see, I mean, I think just thinking when we when Barcelona the last time and we talked to Volvo, which is the world's largest company in construction equipment, and they are of course putting in diggers very far out in the mines, extremely rural. Rural. The two biggest problems to have: one is very dangerous because you go down in a mine, you don't know what's going to happen. Two, how do you recruit people that rural? So what we are now do, trialing with them, and it works perfect, is of course. You can do that remotely with 4G and even, of course, with 5G. You can remotely drive this digger down in a mine and you can sit in Paris and drive it in Silicon Valley without any problem. Of course, you can recruit totally different type of people. They can be in Silicon Valley doing a digger in a mine in Chile, wherever, and you avoid all the hazards. That type of things is sort of people thinking about when they understand what our technology can do, what we, which we are now deploying all around the world. And that was really fun. At Mobile World Congress, you could literally steer a digger that was in Sweden yes. and another one that was outside the halls in Barcelona. My two-and-a-half-year-old would get a kick out of that. Um, well, thank you very much, Hans. Thank you very much.